it is uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, we could, at this point, we could just say amen and go home. I mean, that was some awesome worship right there, but we're not, because I've put a lot of work into this message, so I need, I need some time to be able to share it with you. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Eric Roges. I'm not the campus pastor. Nick Allen is our campus pastor, and uh, he's actually in Brazil. You're going to hear a little bit from him in just a little later in the service. And my role as executive pastor, I have the privilege of overseeing our staff and our ministries and our campuses, uh, so it's an honor to work with uh, Pastor Nick every day and with the incredible Belmont Heights staff on a regular basis. And I'll tell you what, God is really doing some incredible things here at the campus. And we knew that he would. You know, a little over a year ago when we when we merged with Belmont Heights Baptist Church, we knew that great things were ahead and great things are ahead. And now we know that even greater things are still yet to come. And uh, you need to know that your leadership of your church, uh, from our lead pastor, Jeff Simmons, to myself and Nick Allen, along with our board members uh, from the campus here, Kelly Minter and Matt Burhart, we are working feverishly to find our permanent location. So we knew we went through the adoption, that we were going to have to be out by March of 2020 as a part of our agreement. And I just want to take a minute today to let you know that we are looking everywhere throughout the 12 South area. We're having tons of conversations. For example, the week of Easter, probably the busiest week of the year, uh, Pastor Jeff and myself and Pastor Nick, we were in two extensive conversations about possibilities and relationships here in the community. That's how important it is to us. So please continue to join us in prayer. Uh, because we've been looking for over a year uh, in the 12 South area, we have, con- you know, have expanded to other neighborhoods. We're continuing to look here in 12 South, uh, but just because March of 2020 will be here, you know, before we know it, we have expanded a little bit to uh, just see what the Lord is doing. But we are so confident that God has huge, you know, a huge future in store for us. And uh, it is my honor and privilege uh, to be with you. And the thing that I love, I love about, I've been doing multi-site for almost 20 years now in a couple of different churches. And I love the fact that we are one church. So we have multiple sites, multiple campuses. It's not an us versus we or anything like or us versus them. It's a we. We are all together as one church and praying for one another. And uh, that's a super exciting thing to be a part of. Now, speaking of uh, uh, being together, together as one church, we're in a series called Leverage. Leverage. And as you saw in the bumper there, you know, it had the tagline in, in the, the video bumper there, you can leverage it all for God. You can leverage it all for God, for God's glory. What a great line that is. You can leverage it all for God's glory. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Today in particular, we're talking about education. Now, if you're taking notes, you received a worship guide when you came in, and uh, you can take some notes to kind of jot down some things the Lord may speak to you about over the course of our uh, hour and a half or so together this morning. Just kidding, just kidding. Some of you were freaking out there for a minute. Um, But the first fill in the blank there is the definition of leverage, to kind of set the scene, to use something to maximum advantage, to use something, fill in the blank there, to maximum advantage advantage. And that's what we want to be able to say, right? When we see Jesus, we want to be able to say, I used everything you gave me for your glory. I didn't waste it. I was faithful with everything that you gave me. 
And so today we're talking about leveraging our education. And I'll tell you what, we're in a room like this with this many people. We have a lot of different perspectives on education. We're at a lot of different places when it comes to education. Some of you are still in school. Some of you just graduated. Some of you are thinking about a second career. Some of you are like me, like 25 years removed from your education. Some of you have the opportunity to influence, you know, people that are your kids or your grandkids in terms of what they're going to do in regards to their education. Some of you are considering classes like cooking classes and real estate classes and maybe some Spanish classes. Some of you are considering our internships or our residencies right here as a part of our leadership pipeline uh, here at Rolling Hills. There's any number of things that are happening in your minds when you think of education. So what does come to mind for you when you think of education? You know what comes to mind for me? I hate to admit it. Bad stuff, bad stuff. I got my master's degree 25 years ago, but for some reason, one of the first things that comes to mind, studying for a test, using the study guide, opening it up, you feel my pain already? Nothing from the study guide was on the test. Do you remember moments like that? Like that was just horrible. You look at the test and you're like, oh my goodness, nothing that I studied was on this test. Well, if you don't feel my pain, I know somebody that does and his name is Mr. Bean. Take a look at this. You may open the envelopes containing your papers. The exam starts now.
old Mr. Bean. Good old Mr. Bean. Now, if you're still in school, don't do what Mr. Bean did and cheat, okay? That, that is not uh, something we are promoting here today. Uh, but I do want to ask you, you know, what does come to mind? Literally, when I thought of education, that was one of the first things that came to mind for me. What comes to mind for you when you think about education? Now, you probably should know a little bit about my educational background. So as I'm talking about education today, uh, you'll say, okay, what, what kind of perspective is he, does he have? Um, I got my uh, bachelor's in arts uh, in music, like a lot of people in Nashville, right, uh, from Judson University, which is a small Christian school in uh, the Chicago area. Uh, now, I don't use that at all, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or who doesn't use your degree either. And sometimes I hear that as an excuse for why maybe somebody shouldn't go to school because I've never used my degree. But here's the deal. That's a part of my story. My degree is a part of my story. It's part of the path and the plan that God used in my life. Even though I was just a pastor of music for a little while um, and I don't use it a lot anymore, it's a part of my plan. Well, then I went on to get my master's degree from a, a seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And, uh, and then my family, they all went to school as well. I think we got a picture of my family up here. Uh, my wife, who's down here, she went to Judson. Uh, my two sons went to Judson in the front there. My daughter-in-law, she went to Judson. I got some close ties to Judson, can you tell? And then my daughter, who's in the middle with the real bright blonde hair, she graduates next week from Eastern Kentucky University. So she's, she's shunned because she didn't go to Judson. But you can see, we, we have a very, we believe and I believe in education and in a collegiate education when God calls us to that. But I believe that God is also pro-education. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, when, when God is pleased much more with our humble obedience, much more than he is impressed with our intellect. You know, that's what Micah 6.8 says, right? He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To go to school and to get your degree? No, that's not what it says. Uh, but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So that's what he requires of, but it doesn't mean that he's not pro-education. See, we, we read a little bit from Proverbs earlier, but he expects parents to educate their kids. Proverbs also talks about how kids are to listen to the education given by their parents. It also shouldn't surprise us that because God is pro-education, he's not surprised, it shouldn't surprise us that many of his faithful followers were well-educated as well. You know, Moses received the best education that the Egyptian royal courts could provide. Isaiah was highly educated as a counselor of the nation. Matthew served as a tax collector, required education and accounting in civil law. Luke was an accomplished historian, but of course also an educated physician. Paul is famous as one of the brightest young students of the law that we know from the New Testament. Yet for all of these faithful followers and all of their worldly education, it was only a precursor of the true education that they would get from God's way, from God's way. Because you see, without proper education, without proper grounding in God's way, even the finest worldly education is but vanity. Do you hear that? It's one of the fill in the blanks there. Without proper grounding in God's way, even the finest worldly education is but vanity. So today we're going to look at Luke 
chapter 12. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or on your devices if you have that. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the verses up on the screens. If you don't have a Bible also, encourage you if you have a smartphone uh, to look up the app, the U version, Y-O-U version app. Lots of great tools, lots of great uh, Bible translations there. So I encourage you to do that. And by the way, you know, there isn't any passage in the Bible that talks about how to leverage your education. All right. So what we're doing is we're taking some a parable here, a couple of parables, and we're going to take the principles from these parables and apply them to our topic today about leverage. Now, some background to this passage here. If you look up above just a little bit here, just before verse 35, you see um, that Luke or, uh, Luke is talking about how Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He's been teaching them about material things. So greed with the parable of the rich fool and worry when God cares for the birds. And he concludes just before our passage today to talk about what's the most important thing that we have a call to focus on that's really important, the gift of the kingdom that the Father has given us, that he bestows to us. And so with that as a foundation, today's passage shifts into an entirely different vein, waiting for the eventual coming of the Son of Man. So focus on the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand, and now we're going to train you, we're going to encourage you to wait for the coming of the Son of Man. Now, before we dig into today's passage, I'd like to start with kind of the end in mind when it comes to education. You know, some questions to keep in mind, whether you're, again, currently in school, just graduated, looking at some classes, looking to go back to school, influencing your kids, influencing your grandkids. These questions are important. What is the purpose of education? What is the purpose of education? You have an answer in your head? Why do we get degrees and certificates? Once these degrees and certificates are achieved, our big question for today is, how do we leverage our education for God's purposes? How do we leverage our education for God's purposes? Hope you have some answers kind of milling around in your mind here. Now, I want to submit to you that there are two perspectives of the answers of those questions. The first is a secular one, and the second is a spirit one. The secular one isn't bad. It's, it's not bad in and of itself. It can be bad, but it's not bad in and of itself. And this is the answer to it from a, these questions from a secular perspective. Your education allows you personal gain. Your education allows you personal gain. That could be a higher paycheck or higher prestige or more influence or more knowledge or whatever it may be. And again, in and of themselves, this isn't, they are bad. They can be. What the world tells us so is that is a secular perspective. We are to get education and whatever it may be, uh, a high school diploma or a college degree or a master's or classes or whatever, for the money, for the power, for the influence, for the knowledge. And if that's the real why that is floating around in your head in terms of education, then I do think you need to pause for a second and look at the bigger picture from God's perspective. Because the spirit perspective, in my mind, is the real why to those answers. Why do we get education? Why do we get degrees? How do we leverage it? 
Well, we do it to glorify God. We do it to glorify God. And that's not just a church answer, you guys. That's not just because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to tell you the churchy answer. This is true. This is real. We get our degrees. We get our education. We get good jobs to glorify him. The Westminster Catechism, if you don't know what catechism is, it's a, it summarizes the principles of the Christian faith. It, it asks this question, what is the chief end of man? And then it goes on to answer it. A man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of education, the chief end of our experience, the chief end of relationships is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All right. So with all those as starting with the end in mind, we're now ready for our passage in Luke chapter 12. And the first point in regards to our passage this morning is waiting well is a key to a purpose-filled life. Waiting well is a key to a purpose-filled life. And again, the purpose here is glorifying God. All right, let me read the first three verses here. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. All right, in the parable of the watchful servants that we just read, and by the way, this is only found in, in Luke. You won't find in the other biographies. Jesus sets the scene. The master has gone to a wedding banquet. And, and the image here is of a rich household. We're going to talk a little bit more about the servant-master relationship in just a little bit. But it was a very healthy, good, loving relationship. This is probably out of a rich household, perhaps Romans, whose servants were expected to anticipate the master's wishes. And so the banquet is just simply a use in the analogy of the fact that the master is away, he's been delayed, and he could come back at any time. But see, really what is being said here, what Jesus is saying, is that us as disciples, and for him as he's talking to his disciples, they need to be ready for the coming of Jesus. They need to be prepared. We're going to see that, that this parable is exposed a little bit later. And so the master or the servants are to wait and to wait well until, his, uh, until he returns, until the master returns, or in this case, until Jesus returns. So we see here three characteristics of somebody who waits well. Somebody who waits well. And I'll tell you what, I got to be honest with you. I hate waiting. I am probably the least patient person in the history of humanity. I really am. I had a friend of mine encourage me one time. He said, why don't you go to a grocery store and get in the longest line every time? I said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. He actually does that to work on his, you know, his patience muscle. I do not have that. All right, show of hands. Who in here is a really good waiter? Not at a restaurant, but somebody that has a lot of patience and can wait well. Go ahead. Let me see. All right. I see that hand. I see both those hands. Good. All right. Very proud of you guys. Very proud of you. I am not one of those people. And generally, I think a lot of people do not wait well. For example, you know, do you love to wait 
for people to text you back? That's like the worst thing ever, right? Now, there was a study that was done. I think we've got it up here. What you're thinking while someone is waiting for someone to text you back. The green there is they're too busy to text. The blue is they didn't get the text. The yellow is they hate you. And the red is they died. Okay, that was a study that was done in terms of what people think. It's not an actual study. But that's kind of how we feel at times. What about when we are waiting for our customer service on the phone? Oh my goodness, that is probably my worst. And I truly believe this is their model. Your call is important to us, but the time we make you waste while waiting on hold isn't. That, I feel, is what happens too often when we're in uh, customer service on the phone. We hate waiting for pizzas. It, it kind of looks like this. You're wait, you know, When you're so hangry, you're waiting for the pizza to come. It's kind of like the SpongeBob episode, you know, three hours later, 72 hours later. And then when we're waiting, we get to that point. We're like, do we keep waiting or do we not keep waiting, right? This looks like this. We've got one more here. Do we have one more? Oh, there we go. Not sure if I should give up because it's taking so long or if I keep waiting because I've put in so much time. Or We all get to that point with waiting, don't we? Which way do we go? We, most of us really do hate waiting, whether it's traffic jams or doctor's offices uh, for the new Netflix series to start, you know, waiting for the big ball game to start, waiting those whole two days for Amazon Prime to arrive. We hate to wait. Listen to this one. We hate to wait in fast food lines, really? We also hate waiting for test results, whether it's in school or whether it's from the doctor. We hate waiting for our adult child to find their way in life. Some of us hate waiting for a spouse. We hate waiting for a teenager to get home at night or to come back to Jesus. We hate waiting for time to pass, to be done with our degree, to be able to buy a home, to retire, to get that promotion, to get that raise. Some of us also are just tired of waiting for Jesus' return. But see, in these verses, we, we see three characteristics of a good waiter. And the first one is this, preparation. Be dressed and ready, is what Jesus told the servants. Be dressed and ready. And when the master arrives, the servants should be ready. His coming should be their most important priority. Their own weariness, their self-indulgence isn't to take over. They are there to serve the master. Second is maintenance. You know, keep your lamps burning is what Jesus said. And there were these little clay lamps and it took a lot of maintenance. You had to keep the olive oil going. You had to keep uh, the wicks uh, uh, snipped so that they burn well. You had to keep the flame going by protecting it from the wind. Maintenance was a big deal, but the, the lamps were to continue burning. So when the master arrived, it was bright and cheery. The third characteristics of a good waiter of a good waiter is expectation, like servants waiting for their master. Uh, the mood of the master's arrival was to be joyful and, and festive. You know, the eager servant would be ready, able to immediately open the door when the master came. Well, friends, here's the thing: for us as Christ followers, if you're here as a, a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, these same three characteristics apply to us. We are to be prepared, to study, to show ourselves approved as, as workmen that can rightly divide the word of truth. You know, we are to have maintenance, daily time in the word, in prayer, growing in our walk as we wait on what God has next for us. An expectation, looking forward to how God will grow us and use us until the day that Jesus calls us home or he returns. 
And then again, we're taking these principles to apply to education. And so wherever you are in the educational, you know, uh, sphere out there, the spectrum out there, these apply to you as well. So we leverage our education well by waiting well. And there's a huge element of waiting when it comes to education. First, we have to be prepared. See, God is calling each of us, you and me, to something now and something not yet. Each of us have a stage of life that we're in right now where God wants to use us, and we have a stage that's yet to come that he is preparing us for. We have to be ready for that. That could be getting your bachelor's. That could be getting your real estate license. could be taking a class. could be part of a Bible study or a seminary degree. I just met a young single girl this week, uh, 22 years old, uh, has, uh, is not dating anybody, uh, is not married, and I asked her what some of the books that she was reading were. And she's, one of them, she said, was uh, Tim Keller's uh, book on marriage. And he's a Christian author, uh, pastor. And I just thought that was interesting. A 22-year-old single girl, that is lady that is not married, and she's preparing for marriage at some point when, if the Lord leads her to that. We have to be prepared in regards to our education and whatever comes next. Maintenance. Uh, I had the privilege of, of playing uh, college baseball. Uh, my, my wife ran cross country. All of my kids uh, played college sports. I got a bunch of college sports in my background. And one of the things that was interesting is watching the off-season of each of my kids. Because it was there in that maintenance season when they're going through the daily routines of lifting weights and running and developing their skills where they actually got much better, significantly better for the next season ahead. And that applies to us as well, right? You know, that's what we're doing. We're waiting as we're taking a class, as we're getting our degree, we're waiting for the real thing. We're building our skills and our muscles to help leverage us for effectiveness and impact when the time comes. And probably the most important one when it comes to um, education is expectation. I'm going to sit on this for just a moment. When you think of education, your classes, all the different examples, the laundry list I've run through, have you asked God for a vision to be a part of your calling? Have you asked for a calling to be a part of an educational next step in your life? God, what are you calling me to, and what is it going to look like? How do you want to use me? See, this is where the spirit perspective and the secular perspective are at odds with one another. Because most of us, we're going to take this class, we're going to go to this community college deal, we're going to get this degree for all of the secular reasons that we talked about. Money, prestige, a better job. And again, those things aren't bad, but they're secondary to God's perspective. What are you calling me to, God? How do you want to use me when it comes to my education? One of the most powerful prayers you can ever pray. How do you want to use me when it comes to my education and my experience? See, it's a whole different question than what most parents and grandparents and educational coaches and life coaches will share with you or share with your kids or share with your grandkids. You know, parents love to prep their kids to be doctors and lawyers and make a ton of money. There's nothing wrong. We need great doctors. We need great Christian lawyers. Nothing wrong with that, unless it's for the wrong motives. 
if you're getting a degree and seeking a career with the primary expectation of money and prestige, that's the wrong expectation. See, the servant was ready. He was ready to open the door for the master. And we need to be ready to open the door for Jesus. When we pray the prayer, how do you want to use me? What does he want us to do in and through us? It could be a lawyer. It could be a doctor. And it doesn't even mean it has to be a missionary doctor. It could also be parents and grandparents and those going to school. It could be in the ministry. It does all of us that have a job that call Jesus our Lord are in the ministry. But today, unfortunately, we don't have in our youth groups, and we do at Rolling Hills, but in many youth groups and, and many churches, the call of our youth to get involved in missions work, to get involved in ministry in the local church. And the automatic default for parents and grandparents and for life coaches is to go for the secular reason of what we should be doing with our lives. But friends, that's not the example that Jesus gave us, is it? Jesus is our model. What did Jesus do? He upended the world systems. He upended the world systems. And unfortunately, we fall in line when it comes to education way too often with the world systems. Jesus made the poor rich and the rich poor. He said the meek inherit and the mournful leap for joy. See, the blessing doesn't come from the world system of education and experience and expectancy. It comes from Jesus' system and his blessing. And here's the deal. The blessing does come. The blessing does come. Let me give you just a couple of quick examples. I have a friend of mine. His name's Joe. He owns a big business, uh, about 350, 400 employees. He's been on the cover of Fortune magazine. The guy has just done incredible things with his business. All right, here's what Joe does. He had a great education. He ended up working his way through a business to become the owner of a business. And instead of a Christmas bonus for his employees, he changed it to Thanksgiving, brought, brings everybody into the room, brings a pastor in, and has the pastor share the gospel with all of these employees. And he then goes to say, you know what? It's because of God that we are doing what we are doing as a company and why and how we do it. Not only what, how we're succeeding, but how we're operating. He gives glory to God. He leverages that education that he had for God's glory. You know, I, I think of a friend of mine who's a business person that just loves to give back in tithes and offerings out of the abundance of what God has given him. I think a friend of mine that who, who loves her influence to be a part of boards and committees so she can have a Christ-based influence in a lot of different ways throughout the city. I think of politicians that stand for biblical values, both politicians that stand for biblical values. I think of a friend of mine that's a lawyer. His name is Bruce, really good lawyer. And he started in Chicago a ministry called Administer Justice. Administer Justice. He ended up writing a book called The Gospel Justice Initiative. And it's now become a movement that's taking off throughout the country. There's over a hundred gospel justice initiative sites, three of which are here in Nashville, where lawyers come together and they serve the least, the last, and the lost. Bruce, you, Bruce used his education, he leveraged his education to have a career that could glorify God. We leverage our education well by when we wait well and we look for the opportunity and the expectation that God's going to use us in a powerful way. Second, be careful to seek the greatest calling. 
Look at uh, verse, uh, verses 39 here, starting at verse 39. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. But I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master has taken a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and, and to eat and drink and to get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Holy cow, that's some strong language there. We've got a strong blessing and we have a strong warning. And so we move this imagery. By the way, the point here is be careful to seek the greatest calling. The imagery here moves from master servant to owner thief. See, the master servant is intended as an encouragement. The owner thief is intended as a warning. And in verse 40, we see there the parables exposed that says this is all about Jesus, the son of man returning. You know, the master servant that Jesus is portrayed as the master who's welcomed the thief, the owner and the thief. Jesus comes as a thief who's not welcomed and his arrival spells disaster. What's the difference between these two parables, these two relationships, or between these two examples? It's a relationship. As I mentioned earlier, there is a strong bond in Jesus's time between masters and servants. There was a loving bond. They knew each other, they loved each other, and the, the servants were glad to await their loving master's return because of who he was. See, what happens, friends, is we get caught up we get caught up in all that the world tells us that we should be doing. And there's a strong warning here. If we only focus on the things that can be stolen, if we only focus on the perspective that is a personal and a secular perspective, our focus can get off of the main thing, which is to wait for the coming master and to glorify him. So the main thing here is to keep the main thing the main thing. You remember those old WWJD bracelets? You know, what would Jesus do? Remember those bracelets? We wear them around Rolling Hills sometimes. What would Jeff do? That's our lead pastor, Jeff Sims. No, we don't. We don't. We'd get in trouble for that. Um, but sometimes, you know, those bracelets, whether you like them or not, it was a good concept. You know, what does Jesus desire for me in this situation, in this job, in this relationship, for this class I'm taking? See, that's the main thing. And the same applies when we're trying to leverage education. It's not, you know, WWMFD, what would my friends do or what would my friends think? It's what does Jesus have me to do? We leverage our education well when we are careful to pursue the greatest calling, which is leveraging what God gives to us, the skills, the experience, the education for his glory. Lastly, to whom much is given, much is expected. Closing out the passage here. In Luke 12, 47 and 48. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does these things, uh, does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked.
Friends, we've all been given a lot. We've all been given a lot of resources from intellect to opportunity. I mean, we live in Nashville, Tennessee. We've been given resources. And the question is, how are we going to use them? God, what do you want to do with me? See, a little bit earlier, uh, Peter asked the question. You know, he heard, he heard this back and forth of encouragement and warning, encouragement and warning from Jesus. So Peter, he knew he was talking to the disciples, but he's like, is he talking to me? And so he asked Jesus, Jesus, who, who are you talking to here? And Jesus purposely kind of avoided a direct answer. Why do you think he did that? Well, I think it's because he wanted the disciples and Peter to really stop and think about the encouragement and the warning that he was presenting about how to be good stewards with what he has given them. Jesus then comes back with one more angle of encouragement and one more angle of warning. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So here's what I want to do in closing today. It's just ask you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to look ahead with expectancy and say, okay, what's next? God, what do you have in store for me? And with hands out like this, how do you want to use me both now and in the next season? How do you want to use my experience? How do you want to use my skills? How do you want to use my education? Not from a secular perspective of my own gain, but primarily for you and your gain, knowing that when I give you the glory, you in turn are going to supply all my needs through the riches in Christ Jesus. So are you leveraging your experience, your education to discover God's will and calling in your life? Whatever stage you're in, whoever you have the opportunity to uh, to uh, give counsel to? Are you leveraging your intellect in doing your homework about ways that God could use you? You know, sometimes we do a, we give a lot of homework, don't we? On, on retirement, on vacations, on buying a car, uh, on where we're going to go to college, where we're going to go to grad school, where we should take our, you know, what classes we should take, what language we want to take, and the list goes on and on and on. How much homework do we do? How much time do we st- spend studying and seeking wise counsel about how we could leverage what God has given us for his glory? I hope the answer is a lot. I hope that many of you and most of you spend a lot of time doing that. If you don't, and you realize you're having more of a secular perspective, maybe it's time to shift to more of a spirit perspective. I I think of a friend of mine. His name was Leon. He came to a men's event with me years ago uh, at a previous church. And afterward, and Leon was was not a follower of Jesus. And I said, Leon, what did you think of of the gospel message that was presented? He said, well, I I think it was okay. He goes, but I I just kind of have a a set of beliefs that I have. And I said, okay, Leon, how did you come about that set of beliefs? He goes, it's just kind of in my gut. It's in my gut. I said, okay, well... have you done your homework, though, about what Christianity is and what other religions are out there and, you know, the authenticity of, of the Bible versus... Have you done your... No, not at all. I goes, I just, I really believe in my gut, you know, what I believe, and I'm just going to keep that to myself. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I kind of prayed about what I should say. And so I said, well, Leon, you sell 
you sell private planes for a living. When a customer comes, do you encourage them to look at the safety, you know, the safety elements of the plane? You know, the the cost of the plane, the size, all those different types. Or do you just encourage them to buy a plane with their gut? You have a son that's going to college. Did you just encourage him to just go with his gut? Or did he look at what majors were available if they met the calling in his life? You know, did you look at the cost factors, the location? You know, what about retirement? Do you just put your retirement funds in whatever fund you want to put it in? Or do you do your homework? He didn't really have an answer. And I wonder if we have an answer when I ask the question, God, what do you want to do in this next season? But then we just sit back. Are we really looking and seeking and praying and doing our homework about things in the community, ways in the community we could be serving, trips we could be taking with JMI, our international ministry here? You know, classes that we could be taking for the purpose of being, you know, using English as second language in schools. or I don't know what it is for you. There's a myriad of things. But are we asking the right questions? I hope that you are. You know, this is kind of a, a, an odd sermon in that, you know, the church and pastors don't talk about education very often. That's why I love Rolling Hills. We, we, we go after everything that we're dealing with as a church and as people. You know, our time last week, we all have a lot of time. And this week, education. And so I hope that you take the principles of what we looked at today and say, okay, God, what do you have for me now? What's next? And how do you want to use me? All right, would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity you have given us to live where we live, to have the families and the friends that we have, and the opportunity to be able to leverage them all for your honor and glory. Lord, I, I, there's so many different perspectives that are in this room here that um, I, I don't even know how to pray, but I want your Holy Spirit to intercede in each person here with a vision of expectancy of what's next and how can each of us be used for your glory. The chief end of man is to live for your glory. Give us that vision, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are now coming to the time of our service that continues on in worship, but it's worship through our, our tithes and our offering. This is the time when we acknowledge that God is the owner of it all, and we're giving back just a portion of what he's given to us. So I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward. And then after we're done collecting the offering, you're going to see a video. And we actually have the awesome privilege of being able to uh, be a part of a baptism today. And uh, that's one of the highlights of, uh, of the church is an opportunity to, uh, to see someone uh, get baptized an example of the decision they've already made in their heart. And now they get to share it with us as uh, the church famous. Let me pray for our gifts and our offerings, and then uh, we'll, we'll continue on. God, thank you for all the blessings that we have in our lives. Help us to realize that every good and perfect gift, it comes from you. It comes from you. And help us to give with cheerful, grateful hearts just a portion of what you've given us as a way of thanking you and showing our gratitude for all that you do. We thank you for the opportunity to partake and, and to see a baptism here. We give you all the glory for that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.